0: Japan-based pharmaceutical powerhouse, ASI, is allying with Digital Garage to find AI applications that help people with dementia. A top data scientist has proposed a new way to use machine learning to help doctors diagnose skin cancer. I am Douglas Kirkpatrick, here with Kotsky and Dave McCombs to bring you news and commentary on digital transformation. Join us now for more on how machine learning, big data and artificial intelligence are shaping the future of commerce, medicine and society itself. In this, our second episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Mani Golprevar. He is Chief Technology Officer of Reconstruct, which is leading the way on using AI to help construction companies monitor work and inspect building sites remotely. He's been developing new construction management technology for decades. Now the field is booming. More and more governments and companies are looking to automation and artificial intelligence to help monitor and manage big infrastructure and renovation projects. Rio will dig into this and more in an interview with Dr. Golparvar. But before that, let's get to the news. <music> Japan-based technology developer Digital Garage has joined drugmaker ASI to mount a Dementia Innovation Challenge. The jointly backed Open Network Lab is an accelerator program for dementia-related startups aiming to help create a dementia-inclusive society. Companies working on solutions for brain health checks and maintenance in daily life, disease awareness and testing, or accurate diagnosis or confirmation of treatment effects are among eligible candidates for the program. ASI itself has pioneered drugs for treating Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. The lab is accepting applications through December 27th. Program details and a link to the entry form are in the show notes. A test using artificial intelligence to detect skin cancer correctly identified invasive melanoma and melanoma in situ with a sensitivity of 93% and specificity of 91% according to Prosha, a Philadelphia-based company behind the study. The technology, which uses deep learning to teach a computer to read biopsy slides, also identified the two main types of carcinoma with similar accuracy. The goal, says Prosha, is to speed the process of detecting and treating the disease— In the U.S. alone, more than 15 million skin biopsies a year are performed. This leads to a lot of diagnosis backlogs that can prevent doctors from diagnosing the most urgent cases first. Consider as well that a single biopsy can display any one of hundreds of diagnoses, and you start to get an idea of how quickly work gets backlogged. Dr. Juliana Yanni. Prosh's Vice President of AI Research and Development, says the company's technology pushes the boundaries of deep learning in medicine and holds great promise to help pathologists deliver faster, more consistent diagnoses, and improve patient outcomes.
1: So apparently 15 million skin biopsies are done, U.S. alone, every year. This means there's a huge backlog in labs more important, it means doctors have a very hard time figuring out which cases to diagnose first for urgent matters. Surely AI and machines are primed for jobs like this. What AI and machine does best is repetitively hammering on the patterns and, and hammering on, on the methodology to do what it does and do so tirelessly. I mean, that, that is an easy thing for a machine to do as well.
2: Right. It's a huge resource for doctors, and there are more than 100 types of diagnosis that can be made from them. So it's it's a massive task. It's a massive undertaking for doctors to do that. I would think, imagine
1: if if AI can just sort the type of problems, even like sort the problem into different body parts and areas of expertise, that alone can help streamline the diagnosis process.
2: Yeah, I know the, the companies behind this are very excited about the prospects for improving outcomes, not, not just to make the work faster and easier, but actually for getting a result that pays the dividend in the number of people who survive this. You know, melanoma in particular is a deadly type of cancer, but it's also one that is easily corrected with surgery if it's found early enough. So something like this that can speed up the process is really valuable.
1: I mean, apparently the, the test using artificial intelligence is detecting these skin cancer correctly with quite amazing stats. I mean, sensitivity of 93%. The Sensitivity is a is measure of how accurately uh, an AI can detect positive cases. Also, specificity of 91%. That's amazing, right? Because uh, that's what, what it's saying is that it can detect patients without cancer and correctly at the rate of 91%.
2: I actually had a melanoma removed from my arm, and there was certainly some disagreement uh, among doctors about the diagnosis. They had a meeting of their whole board. It was at a university hospital, and their board met and made a group decision on whether or not the tumor that I had was something that qualified as melanoma in situ, and they decided that it was, so they went ahead with the surgery. But I can imagine these are very high risk or high impact decisions that are being made and they're being made uh, with the help of AI rather than by AI.
1: I wonder, what would you have done if the result came from a machine and you had to make a decision whether to move forward or not?
2: Right. I I don't think I could have accepted that. I think I would have said, I need you to decide for me. I, I would tell that to the doctor and then I would probably even have to get a second opinion. If the doctor said, oh, we just do what the machine tells us to do, I would have sought a second opinion, which I didn't do, by the way. I considered getting a second opinion, but I went through it in my mind and realized that if you have two opinions and they're both the opposite, that you kind of want to go for two out of three and where does it end? But I definitely wouldn't accept a doctor's diagnosis that said, oh, the reason we're doing this is because... This is what the scan told us to do. What I would accept, though, would be if they said, "Okay, so your case has come back as, as urgent and we need to act on it quickly. So make your decision quickly. If they said that, that would make much more sense to me. It just seems less final. And it also seems like the doctor is making an informed decision based on what the data has told him rather than letting the machine make the big decision. And
1: this continues to be the challenging Uh, factor, isn't it? The application and deployment of AI solutions, even at the sensitivity and specificity, I think it would be quite rare. For anybody to just go with the machine's decision. But certainly with this kind of specificity and sensitivity, we can surely rely on it, sorting, for doctors can make the final calls.
2: We don't intentionally focus only on healthcare uh, here at AI Transform, but it does seem like this week that has been a theme. And we've also got that theme with technology developer Digital Garage They've joined drugmaker Asi to mount a Dementia Innovation Challenge. What they're doing is essentially an incubator in which they will help startups develop technology and apps related to helping people with dementia get along with their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a powerful combo. Digital Garage has been very strong at partnering with companies to launch new businesses in Japan. They handled Twitter's introduction into Japan and have become go-to partners for number of payment providers, Alipay, Alipay HK, Cocoa Pay, there are a
2: series of them. So my my understanding is that the deadline for applications to participate in this incubator is coming right up. So I'm keeping an eye out for announcements about who, who they're going to be working with and what they're planning on doing. It's really very exciting stuff. Right.
1: And as for Azai, they've been a leader in rolling out Alzheimer's drug. They've got a FDA approval earlier this year for a breakthrough drug that reduces amyloid beta plague in the brain. That isn't a cure, but Alzheimer experts say it's one of the most promising treatments yet.
2: Yeah. And for sure, that's a very important in Japan where you have a rapidly aging population. The number of People who are over 60 years old will very soon be up to 40% of the population. So this is a huge issue of coping with various levels of dementia. It affects not just people's individual lives, but it also even affects the economy. A lot of the challenge for people who begin to develop dementia is handling their own personal finances. You also have thousands of businesses across Japan that are affected by this, where the owner of the business, the operator of the business starts to develop dementia and they're not even necessarily aware that that's what's happening to them. So it becomes very difficult for them to handle their, their finances. So I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the applications that they end up developing through this project have, have some fintech, some fintech aspects to it fintech
1: maybe and i you know i i wonder they were gonna go with the uh, brain training and brain retraining brain rejuvenation direction i mean there was once a hype for that direction and there was a period of time there was uh, lots of investment going into brain training apps there has been studies to connect playing puzzles every day postponed some of the symptoms that would eventually come from alzheimer sure you know there might be a little bit of that angle as well here
2: It'll be very interesting to see. Well, we'll definitely, whatever they do, we'll definitely report on it here. Sounds good.
0: Ignitus AI has two crucial questions for you. What data do you want for your business? And if you had that data, how would it transform your operation? We're here to help you find those answers. The power of data is relentlessly stoking change in organizations. To keep up, you need hyper-agility. Big data must find a constructive, creative, human-centered role that works best when it fits with and emerges from your business's DNA. We've helped car makers, pharmaceutical research organizations, hospitality providers, and others transform their businesses using these tools. Let us do the same for you. Find more at ignitus.ai. That's I-G-N-I-T-U-S dot A-I. Here's our selection of the best upcoming AI conferences and what to expect at these events. The International Conference on Neural Information Processing runs December 8th through the 12th. The events are held online and include a keynote from Professor Jürgen Schmidhuber of the University of Lugano, Switzerland. Dr. Schmidhuber will discuss how deep learning and related technologies have begun to impact billions of human lives and how the timeline predicts the next big event to be around 2030. The 20th International Conference on Machine Learning and Applications runs from December 13th through the 16th virtually online. The event has traditionally been held in Pasadena, California, home of Caltech, the esteemed science research university, but has been moved online because of the COVID pandemic. Keynotes include machine learning pioneer Thomas Dieterich, who will speak about detecting anomalies in datasets, a crucial challenge for developing AI systems. Diederik has authored more than 220 refereed publications and two books in the field and is a former president of the Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence and the founding president of the International Machine Learning Society. Yiran Chen, a Duke University professor and the co-director of the Duke Center for Computational Evolutionary Intelligence, will also deliver a keynote address on efficient and reliable deep learning at scale. Dr. Chen holds 96 patents and a host of honors for publishing outstanding research in the field. A third keynote will be delivered by Soren Dragici of Wayne State University. Dr. Dragici will talk about using graph methods to understand diseases and repurpose drugs. The seminar will include live demonstrations on several datasets aimed at understanding COVID-19 and identifying drugs suitable for repurposing to combat the pandemic. The IEEE Conference on Data Mining unfurls December 7th through the 10th online. Juan Pei, a professor at Simon Fraser University and one of the world's most cited authors on data mining, will deliver a keynote on ways to build trustworthy data science. Dr. Pei will review some of the latest efforts in building data and model marketplaces and preserving fairness and privacy. He'll also cover the challenges and opportunities in building trustworthy data science. Masashi Sugiyama of the University of Tokyo and the Riken Center for Advanced Intelligence Project also gives a keynote address on recent advances in robust machine learning. Svetha Venkatesh of Deakin University's Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute speaks about optimizing experiments to speed up innovation. Venkatesh is an ARC Australian Laureate Fellow, Alfred Deakin Professor, and a co-director of Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute at Deakin University. Professor Venkatesh was appointed an Australian Laureate Fellow in 2017, the highest individual award the Australian Research Council can bestow. I really wished I could take all these in.
1: That said, one trend I can see clearly is that there are more and more talks about human-centric models. In the data mining conference, each keynote is centered in the idea of keeping humans safely at the center. I'm sure each of us at AI Transform will be getting lots of interesting ideas from these presentations as will anyone interested in AI. Definitely check out the keynote from Dr. Thomas Dietrich who is expected to talk about fundamental mechanics that we at Ignite the AI and trust and apply in helping our clients digitally transform and become hyper agile using human centric ai Dr Dietrich is a leading expert in enabling supervised learners to behave safely and learn to adapt in presence of arbitrary changes that cannot be anticipated before The application thereof is boundaryless system that can manage unknown future empowering hyper agility so definitely listen to what he has to say and learn about what it is that we do at Ignite AI.
0: And now here's Joe's interview with Dr. Manny Golprovar. Dr. Golprovar,
1: welcome and thank you for joining us today. May I call you Manny?
3: Please, please do, yes. <laughs> First, can you share with us some of your background? I'm guessing you know mostly about my background to the context of Reconstruct. I'm also Associate Professor of Civil Engineering, Computer Science, and Technology Entrepreneurship at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I have recently started a new initiative to establish the first Institute of AI in construction. We have a little bit over 350 members, 85 companies, primarily US-based, but out of Japan, we also have a few companies that have joined us to plan for establishing this institute. So Reconstruct brings together 360 degree photography and
1: reconstruction blueprints to let users navigate projects in 2D while monitoring progress in 3D. You've built a platform that makes that process completely remote and somewhat seamless. We can see right away how this saves builders money and travel and time as well. But we also get some sense that it could transform the construction process at an even deeper level. What are some of the most important ways business is using this technology to change operations?
3: You know, the way I would reconstruct this is to say, you know, it's a visual production management system. It's a web-based system that brings in images and videos from any hardware device that a customer uses on the job site and automatically transforms those standard images, videos from cell phone, from 360 cameras to drones, into measurable reality models over the project timeline. These reality models are point cloud mesh models, but more than anything, they're a street view experience. Imagine Google and imagine Google Street View. Imagine that experience being measurable on your construction site, and imagine that being available to you every day. We call this visual production management because it also brings in design information. For us, design means 72 different file formats. A while ago, MLIT in Japan came up with a new initiative of uh, requiring BIM and SIM to be part of every project. So we're also tapping into that opportunity to bring that design mapped against the reality, whether that design is 2D or 3D, so you can see what is there versus what should be there. And the basis of that really forms a digital twin. So again, one side is reality, one side is the design, and they form that twin. That twin serves as a basis of tracking progress, tracking quality, and understanding schedule risk during performance of a project. So when you think about different layers of data that are coming to our system, being images, videos, design, and the schedule data, there are quite a few workflows that are being enabled by that, to your point about value. If you only think about images and videos, that's really all about transparency. That transparency that every day on the job site, you can facilitate coordination and communication. You can minimize travel times. Of course, with pandemic, things dramatically changed for us. But before pandemic, in the context of actually Japan, we had a case study with Kajima Building and Construction Division. Uh, so, Kojima has a few subsidiaries here in the U.S. They were using our solution on one of their sites, and we were able to demonstrate fifty percent time saving and cost saving associated with travel. Now, this was not a case of you know COVID travel restriction; rather, this was prior to it. To demonstrate that, when you get visibility, you can more frequently check your project through the web, um, and you can minimize these travel times or side walkthroughs that are needed. So that's one value of visual documentation. The moment that you bring the design into it, the game completely changes because now you can use. Design versus reality for quality control purposes. Quality control has you know two types of benefit. Of course, minimizing rework at a project level. Uh, we have a case of study with General Motors. We were able to demonstrate that we were able to save a million dollars on a change order that was being formulated by the subs. Beyond ability of saving that, you know, at change orders. You can think about rework. We had another contractor, a healthcare project, and they were able to save a very simple um, concrete placement operation, about $16,000 of saving for one instance. And the issue that they were facing was they had five sleeves that were mislocated against uh, the reality on the job site. So when they did the design uh, overlay against pictures from drone, they were able to immediately catch that and resolve that issue. It also adds value to the person who does quality control. It cuts the amount of time that you have to walk around the job site, and you can do more uh, higher-frequency quality inspection. Of course, many contractors in Japan are self-performing construction companies, and the nature of the contracts would require you to do more quality control. There's an element of a lump sum contract, so it obviously makes sense uh, for that uh, capability. But a more advanced piece of it, which I think that was part of your question. Is the ability of bringing the schedule. When you bring in a schedule, you can track progress against that schedule. So you can formulate the forty d BIM. You can track your progress against that forty d BIM. That can enhance performance uh, of your project. We had a hotel project in Chicago. And on that project, we measured um, impact, percent plan complete on the project, um, you know, raised by a little bit over 46%, if I remember the number on top of my head, meaning the number of tasks or activities in the schedule that were being done significantly increased. So as you can see, it brings that layer of visual documentation, it brings in that layer of quality control, and it brings that layer of actionable insight on risk so you can make sure your project stays on time and on budget.
1: Along with monitoring progress at a site, Reconstruct also lets managers overlay images of planned building elements. This means I can look at a photos of foundation as it is actually built, then overlay where the main load-bearing pillar will go based on plans. I know you've also added functionality called Hyperlapse to get same-day visual results and two-way integration with Autodesk design application. Can you walk us through what it took to integrate these tools and how AI
3: plays a role in that? Absolutely. There are many layers of AI. Our focus within AI is primarily on computer vision. We also have elements of machine learning, which I can speak to. Let me start with the computer vision. So at Reconstruct, we have an engine that automatically transforms images and videos into measurable point clouds, uh, mesh models, and more importantly, takes advantage of these 360 videos to, to offer that capability. So you get three-dimensional models, you get two-dimensional floor plan. And right there, there are quite a few algorithms that we use from image-based 3D reconstruction techniques, or you know what is also commonly called as a structure for motion, understanding how we can... Recover the geometry seen as a function of a camera moving. So that's one pipeline of algorithms that we use in our system. There are times that we tap into 360 videos that are being streamed through cell phone devices. So in those cases, we use a different body of algorithms called SLAM simultaneous localization and mapping techniques. And of course, within this pipeline, imagine a case where somebody's flying a drone over a bridge. You have a sky, right? And the sky typically reduces a lot of noise in these algorithms. So we have a number of deep learning algorithms that can automatically segment out things that are causing the noise, including a sky. So, that's one layer of algorithm, which is primarily around um, inferring geometry that is seen from images and videos. But on the completely opposite side of it, when we bring in uh, the design against the reality, we have a number of algorithms that can compare um, reality against the design, that can infer state of uh, working progress. In our early days, these algorithms, which is primarily a machine uh, learning driven solution, was comparing the geometry and what we are expected to see from the design. Against the content of the images. Over time, we've actually improved these algorithms to remove the dependency on design. So, without knowing anything about the site, we've been exploring a number of deep learning algorithms that can automatically detect things such as pipes, ducts, drywall component, concrete, the steel. So, we can automatically track physical progress on the site purely as a function of images and video. So, no other input. When it comes to the schedule piece, a long time ago, we realized that what's helpful to understand what progress gets made and capture that and communicate that with simple colors, red behind the schedule, green on schedule. But it would be much more impactful if you can understand what is the risk for potential delay. So as opposed to only displaying the actual delay, why don't we try to infer or predict what is about to be delayed on the site and communicate that proactively to the project team. So we came up with a number of algorithms that can forecast reliability of the schedule. And in very simple, practical term, we call that Location Risk Index. That means what location on your site is at risk for delay. In location, can be different levels in a building project. If you're working on an offshore facility, this can be upper deck, lower deck. If it's a hotel project, it can be podium. Whatever the superintendent is defining as work area, we can highlight those work areas in terms of their risk for delay. So there's another layer of algorithms that we have on, on that front. These are a range of algorithms that we use in the context of construction. Our solution also gets used for inspection of existing assets, and there we have a number of algorithms for detecting and characterizing defects, cracks, spalling, fluorescence, um, corrosion, and things of that nature.
1: You're using AI to essentially fill in the missing links, missing data within your product. And then you, you're using prediction so that the, the users, the construction companies can anticipate potential issues or, or common issues that may occur again.
3: You know, I want to also emphasize on one thing. Um, construction companies are at different levels in their journey toward adoption of AI-driven solutions. While there are many sophisticated capabilities that I refer to, what we always do is we always have them start with something really, really simple. For example, if you haven't been experiencing these measurable street view experiences, that's a low hanging fruit opportunity. All they need to do is you take a camera, you walk around and start videotaping or taking images, and we get you started. Then once you're ready, we jump you into overlaying that against the design. And then when you're getting a little bit more into schedule driven elements, we add that into the STEM and we try to get you into a more proactive project control cycle. So while there's a lot of sophistication, it's always mapped into a journey, a journey of where the customer is in terms of uh, their adoption of AI-driven solutions.
1: I'm sure you followed with great interest the news of US infrastructure plan getting approval. It's a massive price tag, $1 trillion, of which millions will be spent on roads, ports, power lines, bridges, and other construction projects. How big a role do you expect Reconstruct to play in that? And can you give us some insights into how this technology
3: may transform the way these
1: massive projects are done?
3: Absolutely. Um, When it comes to infrastructure, I mean, there are two types of things that are happening. One is... Performing inspection on the existing assets and prioritizing where investment money should be placed at so we can bring back the level of uh, serviceability that we're expecting from those assets. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the completely opposite end of the spectrum, we're discussing a number of new projects or complete replacement projects where now the idea is to completely change the level of service by placing a new asset. We hope that Reconstruct will play a role on both uh, sides of the spectrum. When it comes to the new projects, uh, we've had the opportunity of working with New York Department of Transportation, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, and it's really refreshing for us to see um, some of these DOTs have already taken the initiative of introducing three-dimensional models tied against the schedule and cost as part of the initiative. So there's already a conversation about what we call 4D and 5D BIM at these DOTs, which is truly refreshing to hear that. Now, this is all happening at the time of uh, this new infrastructure bill and, and a new investment. Yeah. So the money that's going to go to these pr- projects, we hope that we can bring transparency to how that money gets spent. Um, you know, of course, this uh, this is a major investment at the country level. And we want to make sure that that transparency is something that we are part of. Um, we'll be able to bring that into every stakeholder that's engaged in the project. Transparency of seeing what's really happening on site upping the contractor to be more productive um, and at the same time for the owners, clients and constituents uh, all being able to see what's happening in terms of uh, delivery of those projects. So that's one end of the spectrum. And when it comes to inspection, the opportunity of quickly inspecting and uh, prioritizing which assets are more critical state of uh, support and inspection will be something that we love to be part of. So, I mentioned about two of our clients on that NFT spectrum. Of course, we have tremendous number of inspection projects that are already ongoing with many uh, major companies, such as the structural WJE, uh, that are our partners. And we work with them in inspecting physical assets. So, we hope to continue playing a role on, on both sides of this uh, issue.
1: If we could shift just a bit to the business side, I note that your growth rate tripled in 2020 and your Series B fundraising this year pulled in more than $17 million, backed by some of the biggest names including NTT Ventures Investment Unit. I also noticed that your Series B investor don't include VCs. Instead, you found support among a lot of investors like Nemechek Group, which are themselves in software and artificial intelligence fields. Was this a strategic decision or just the way it panned out?
3: Uh, no, it was a conscious decision on our end. We love to have partners and we were looking for partners who understand us, who appreciate our culture. We appreciate that culture and through that partnership, we can grow the company. So in this round, more than anything, we're looking for partners and we're very fortunate to start having a conversation with Nemechek at the time that Nemechek was looking to investing in this space. We've had the opportunity of knowing quite a few folks at Nemechek at Willis to Don Jacob to um, John Elliott, um, who's part of our um, uh, team now in uh, board. And you know, it was really important for us to see if we can tap into um, their excellence when it comes to um, developing solutions in excellence in business development, sales, and marketing, and and have that partner. So Nemechek, um started having a conversation with us, and we move forward uh, with uh, those conversations deeper. Um, at the same time. A few other companies, Toronto, Massetti, um, Cisco, Hennessy, um, and Tone, You Tone, know, they're all great engineering uh, firms. And Again, we wanted to tap into their expertise and uh, having that help us grow the company further. At the same time, Equipment Share and uh, Romulus uh, Ventures that are associated with them. These strategic partnerships are helping us understand how we can refine our own path, how we can refine our own messaging. And how we can deliver products that really solve customer problems it sounds like the smart
1: way to go having the right partners around you given how fast we know developments are taking place in construction technology and computer science where do you see reconstruct five
3: years from now oh that's an excellent question <laughs> five years uh you know in the world of a startups in technologies five years you know when you get into sort of that phase where product roadmaps can be rather unreliable. But you know what is uh, what is really interesting about our team is the blend of background that we bring in, which is heavy, really, on on the side of AI. You know, meeting construction, and what that means is over the years we've actually been working on quite a lot of uh, research and development projects that are leading into these solutions that we're bringing out into the market. So. You know, there's a lot of information we can uh, extract from images and videos from understanding safety hazards on the job site, understanding how you can automatically detect quality, analyzing productivity at the job site. Across every single one of those, we actually do have prototypes that, when the market is ready, we are ready to bring them out and place them into the package of solutions that we offer. On the completely opposite side of it, on the four, there'd be more automation through natural language processing, better understanding of a schedule risk through the same process. What we've been working on has been primarily around um, predictive data analytics, if you want to sort of summarize all of it. And what I'm you know learning through both Reconstruct and our inner interaction with our customers, partners is that you know there's a growing uh, appetite for prescriptive data analytics you know these are sort of buzz terms what it really means in simple terms is oh well, it's one thing for us to be able to demonstrate let's say for example where the risk is but some of our customers are asking us, all right, now that you detect the risk, can you give us the top five recommendations on how we can revise that schedule so we can bring the project back on schedule? And this is what I mean by prescriptive, offering some more insight through perhaps optimization on what are the things that they can do in terms of control actions that can bring the project back on schedule. We hope to march into that direction. This is more on the analytic side of it. And of course, you know, as people are you know getting more used to Reality capture, reality modeling, reality mapping. There's a desire of more autonomy on that front, and that means tapping to robotic platforms. Of course, we use drones. You know, since the days that we've been using drones, we've had solutions that can autonomously uh, take off a drone, autonomously maneuver it around against changes that are expected in the scene, and autonomously bring it back, download the data. There are legal restrictions uh, associated with Federal Aviation Administration wanting to have line of sight against a drone operation, things of that nature. That sort of Change the way we've been thinking about this problem. With some of those constraints becoming a little bit more relaxed, I have a feeling that that level of autonomy would be something that we would also be offering. Again, we're another you know hardware company, we're another robotics company. We're gonna be on the software side of it, an operating system on how we can expedite it. The same applies to ground robots. We already have prototypes of how ground robots can maneuver around the job site to even further streamline the process of capture. But you know there are. Process oriented issues, there are safety oriented issues, there are cultural aspects of bringing a robot on the job site that can move around and take pictures. I think with the speed of adoption that we've seen with drones and even ground robots today, I have a feeling that within the five years, autonomy in data capture using these robotic platforms will be more acceptable. So we will play a role on that front given the prototypes that we already have. It's amazing. Have
1: I, I think you guys are on a fast path. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. Thank you
3: for inviting me. And anyone has any questions uh, can be reached at Mani, M-A-N-I, at ReconstructInc.com. We'd be happy to bounce ideas back and forth, um, help any way we can to structure partners. Many of us come with construction background, and these are some of the pain points that we've seen. So we are not just passionate about creating products. We are passionate about solving problems that we faced ourselves. So we'd love to hear from everyone and, and see how we can help. Brilliant.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast. Send any questions, comments, or suggestions to podcast at ignitus.ai. That's podcast at ignitus.ai. Be sure to listen to our next episode featuring more news and interviews on human-centric AI. Until then, keep on transforming.